Welcome to another instalment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today, I'm joined by Martin and Peter to discuss the topic of how to build high-performance teams. Before we delve deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. Martin, we're going to come to you first. Tell us a bit more about yourself. Yeah, thank you. So my name is Martin. I'm uh, an engineering manager at Sign Improve. Uh, I've been working there for about five years. Uh, engineering managing most of the time. I have a background in, well, in, as, a, as an engineer myself, uh, I've been working in the industry for around 20 years now, a lot of that time in the, in, in the financial sector. Um, I've been running some user groups here in Copenhagen, uh, the.net user group, uh, and the domain driven design user group. I'm not as active as I used to be. Um, but, but, uh, I've been spending a lot of that, a lot of time on that in the past. Uh, and have sort of generally been following along in the uh, agile sphere, uh, keeping up on keeping keeping uh, up to date with that and applying what I could in, in in my work. So yeah, that's me. Fantastic and great to have you here, Martin. Thank you. Uh, next, Peter, tell us a bit more about yourself. Yeah, hey, uh, I'm Peter. I'm a director of software engineering at the uh, Carnot Group. Uh, and uh, yeah, also been in the software industry for maybe 30 years or so. I also started my career the first uh, 20 or something as a software engineer uh, through many different uh, industries and uh, now working in, in leadership and have been uh, for the last small 10 years also active in the agile community here in Denmark. Uh, so uh, that is also things that are very close to my heart as well. Fantastic, and equally good to have you here as well today, Peter. But now that we've established who each of you are, let's move on to the topic in focus. We've got a question, or a couple of questions in this case, with the two guests this time on how to build high-performance teams. I think there's no better way place to start than actually defining and characterizing what a high-performing team is. Um, so, Martin, we'll come around to you again first. Um, tell us, what do you think a high-performance team is? Yeah, so I, I tried to sort of boil this down into the, the classic three-point model, but I, I, I'll have to go with four points uh, on this, and there's probably going to be some more in, the, in our conversation. But the first one, I think, is to have clear goals. So make sure that the team has a clear vision and clear goals. They know what they should be working towards, and they have a clear understanding of their ownership, um, both in terms of the how they what, what their place is in the business, but also technical ownership, so what parts of the stack do they own, um, and and how do they uh, how do they take care of their operational responsibilities and so on? Um, so the, the the second thing that I have is that uh, teams um, high performing teams are collaborative. So um, it's not it's not just a team of individuals sitting together in a room. They actually collaborate together on their deliveries. Um, they share knowledge. Uh, they make sure to to uh, grow people in the team. Um, and they sort of think about how to uh, build the team into the future and then and grow the team. Um, a high-performing team should also have a good delivery flow. So um, have a good way of, 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 uh, of uh, building whatever they're building. Um, and this is, I guess this is also, you know, where the, where the agile mindset comes in. Um, so a, a good delivery flow with, with the... Uh, uh, clearly visible outcomes, um, and a good feeling for the team also that they're actually, uh, producing something. 
And then the last thing is, uh, and I think this is some, maybe something that, that we tend to miss a little bit once in a while, but uh, a good operational performance. Um, so, so this idea of teams owning the, the, the ops part of whatever they're building, um, this, this is a, so building that operational mindset in a team, I find, I find is very, very important, uh, for building, um, if, uh, high performing teams. Thank you there, Martin. Peter, what have you got to say? What, how would you characterize a high performing team? Yeah, I, I made some 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 notes on this, and I also think that uh, the the punchline would be that uh, it has a lot of abilities and very few negative abilities. Uh, so it is this. Uh, I think I will just say sort of the same as Martin uh, in slightly different words, because it is this that uh, they are self-sustainable. They, they can maintain their own backlog, make sure they do the right things. Uh, in that way, they are autonomous. And another important thing is that they have this high uh, quality communication, both internally to upskill themselves, but also externally, making sure the stakeholders are satisfied with enough information of what is going on and uh, often also what is not, is not going on. And, uh, and then obviously things like they have this high quality and high reliability and they are uh, relatively predictable in what they do. If they say they will do something, they get it done. And uh, so, so to me, that is uh, what it constitutes uh, a high performing team. It's, it's the dream scenario for any manager to have such a team because then you can go do uh, other things to make it even better uh, because you don't need as a manager to to be too close to them because they are very autonomous fantastic i think now that we we've set and told the listeners what we think high performing teams are we can move on to the first question in hand which is from martin um and it's looking at what are good ways of building teams and I suppose then as as an extension the larger organization Martin, just going to come to you to give a bit of context before we go to Peter for an answer. Yeah. So, um, you know, building teams and building organization intentionally is, is, is important. And I think it's, a, it's an important first step in, in achieving high performance teams. Uh, they, they usually don't just pop up out of nowhere. Um, so the question, you know, rely is about how, how, how to do that. Um, I've, I've seen some teams. For example, introduce into into organizations uh, with very little context. You know, maybe new all 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 newly hired people uh, put into a team, and that's just difficult to get off the ground. Um, but but um, I think I'll uh, I'll let uh, Peter talk into uh, and listen and, and answer the question. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I don't think you can find a cookbook for for building a. A high performance team, but there's uh, de definitely a lot of, uh, say, cultivation you can do to have a higher chance of it happening. And one thing is that you make sure you have a certain level of stability in the teams you build, and you also make sure that they feel that they are trusted because this level of uh, the psychological safety. 
that you build up in a team, uh, making sure that both their successes are celebrated and their uh, failures are also celebrated in terms of now we learned that and uh, then let's move on and get even better. So setting the ground for these things can really uh, spark that a team can get on their path to becoming a high performing team. And also having the right mix of seniors and uh, and juniors on the team. So you would have seniors on the team taking the lead in the beginning and having the less senior developers or other roles on the team uh, looking up to these people and say, I want to go there. So uh, you sort of have this internal, I wouldn't say it competition, but something you want to strive towards. Uh, so having these one or two really skilled people on the team that the rest of the team wants to follow. That is uh, some of the things uh, that can uh, make the good uh, basis of uh, a team that can become high performing. Because I don't think just building a team of pure aces uh, is difficult. Uh, maybe they turn out to be pure aces after some years, but uh, you rarely start there anyway. So uh, setting that up so you have one or two aces that the rest of the team can work. Yeah, Martin? Yeah, so I think that's a really good point uh, on, on on what you're saying that you know you need some some aces elites in there that can sort of guide the team. Um, I also think it's important that you know these people that they are at least some people on the team are are have been with the company for a while, sort of vet, maybe veterans in the company because each company has their own culture, uh, their own domain that that requires some understandings. And even if you hire someone that's really skilled developer, it's going to take a while for that person to sort of uh, find her or his place in, in, in the company. Um, so I, so I think that that's, I, th I would include that in sort of the, the, the team lead discussion there. Um, that is someone who can guide new people and onboard them in the company as well. And not just the team. I think that that's very, uh, very important. I also think, um, one thing that we, we, I don't know if talk about that a lot, but this idea of, of making sure that the cognitive load of the, of the team is, is uh, not too high, I think is important. Mm -hmm. uh, and by that, I mean that the complexity of what the team owns is, um, is, is something that that's actually that, that, you know, sort of an average developer, I guess that's a bad word to use, but, but, you know, if uh, a, a, a person, uh, uh, any, any engineer that you hire will be able to, to handle and understand and, and, and learn fairly quickly, um, within a, a, a decent time frame. Um, sometimes you have teams, I've seen teams that have, uh, that own a stack that is at a very high level complexity, or it might be sort of, you know, a lot of old, um, uh, legacy code, and it just takes a long time for people to, to onboard and become efficient. So, so that's something to, to, to think about also. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do agree on, on that. Uh, there's this, uh, this part of the, the load that is both the workload and the cognitive load. So no. people's the chance of onboarding faster. No. But, uh, and the same goes, you can see for the architecture, have a, a good architecture set up. So, uh, the 
that domain you are working within is uh, limited, uh, so so it's 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 easier to become a success in mm. what you. Uh, and obviously, if you work within a legacy uh, space, it is more difficult to create a high-performing team uh, because it would require a very high load of knowledge uh, to to grasp the the full scale of what you're working with. Yeah, yeah. I, w- I was actually thinking about that when we were sort of talking about so what constitutes um, a high-performing team. I think as managers, we also need to. Uh adjust our our uh, expectations a little bit you know if, if you if you give a team uh, a 20 year old code base and say now you you'll go be high performing with this you know it might be the core of what's of, of, of the of whatever uh business the, the company is running but still if it's all code it's all code and it's just it's just it's just very t- hard to 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 be efficient with that with that kind of problem mm. yeah but also the 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 thing we were talking about in the beginning on on this team making sure that they have some clear goals on what is expected of them what yeah. are their mandate uh, so because that also helps them uh, set their own context to say well this is what I'm going to fix uh, so because developers are executional people they want to execute on something and the the more clear picture they have of what success would look like to the easier for the business to get there. Mm-hmm. Yep, I agree. Excellent. I think some great points there, guys. I think the the next question from Peter really does roll quite nicely as well uh, and kind of transitions um, into to the next point. So Peter's asking, what is the most important to you when you're building a high-performing teams? And is it autonomy, having very clear goals, which we've um, mentioned um, already um, from the outset. So yeah, Peter, have you got any context or should we just roll on quite nicely from the last question? I can provide a, a bit of context. Is this that uh, we we will always in, in the agile world when we make a backlog, you can only have one thing on the top, right? So uh, obviously we would like some of both of these things, but uh, what would you put on the top of the list uh, over the other? Uh, not saying that we don't need the other thing, but uh, trying to provoke a bit and say, well, what what would be placed on the top of the backlog? Martin, we'll come to you. Have you got a... Yes. So um, I think the correct answer, <laughs> answer here, and of course that's said with a little bit of a, you know, irony, but I think I, so, so, so I, my, I, I very clearly um, think that, uh, Clear goals is more important than autonomy. Uh, I guess you could say that. If, if I really had, you know, if I only could get one and not the other, I would go for clear goals. Let's put it that way. Um, I think the point here is that there needs to be continu- continuity in, in the deliveries and 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 the long term ownership of the team, uh, so that they can grow with with what they do. Um, and also, they you also need to make sure that the a team is providing value. Um, if a team is not or seen as to, to not as to not provide value, it, it's very easy to sort of get uh, get get pulled into other activities, um, and that that sort of puts puts the uh, the pressure on management also to make sure that you know the, the the clear vision is there, the strategy is there, and and that the organization is shaped to to deliver on those on on that on that on that strategy. 
otherwise, and that's where you often see, you know, teams, some teams not really, um, had, you know, getting to work on something that is, that is clearly aligned with, with the, uh, with the overall vision and, and then getting pulled into other, other things. I do think autonomy is important, uh, especially around, you know, having roles on the team. So you don't need to pull the, pull in people from other places. Um, so you have sort of that daily, uh, group of people that you work with and that learns how to collaborate in the team. Um, also a crop role. So often you'll see, you know, developers collaborating with, with the UX, uh, testers, uh, product owners, so on and so forth. And, and establishing that collaboration across roles is super important. Um, so autonomy is definitely also, uh, important. Um, I think so one thing that I've seen is that, um, you know, often when a team is not clearly, um, clearly strategy aligned, uh, it will be required to collaborate with other teams maybe supporting other teams in some very high priority deliveries. Uh, and in that case, I think it sort of becomes a, you know, you kind of need to prioritize. So what's more important for you is it the, the autonomy of, of the individual teams or that you can pull the organization together to deliver on something that is very high priority for the organization uh, for, the, for the business. Um, and then I think that happens when maybe when you do have an organization that maybe not it is that maybe is not a hundred percent aligned to the to the business goals. Um, so at some point you might also want to you know you you probably start considering some kind of reorganization. Um, but I think it's also important that you have the business agility to uh, have teams you know change uh, have teams help out with goals that actually do or are, are very high priority goals for the business. So I, I think there's a little bit about, you know, uh, uh, there's a, there's a, uh, autonomy is important, but, but I think business agility and the ability to make sure that teams actually do support the business is also important. It's not very yeah. short, long answer. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would say you, you, uh, I agree because for me, uh, the clear goals is the ground for uh, getting autonomy. Yes. When you have a clear goal, it is so much easier for a team to build up an autonomous uh, way of working because you know the playing field you can uh, work within. Uh, so for me, the goals are a prerequisite to the autonomy because if you have uh, autonomy without goals, then it's closer to anarchy, I guess. Uh, and and uh, developers also like anarchy, so we need to make sure that they don't get there uh, because uh, it's only sometimes it, it turns out good. Because mm-hmm. uh, uh, I, I, uh, I see having uh, some of these very senior developers uh, having Maybe a fluffy goal of being the unblocker of everyone. Some call it a staff engineer role or something like that, where you have this very senior engineer that you say, well, you don't work in a team on the specific items. You fly uh, among the teams and make sure everyone is unblocked uh, mm-hmm. when you have a complicated architecture, maybe. So also having people that have these and say fluffy goals 
but they have a very clear goal and mandate of making sure everyone is not stuck. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so that can also be a clear goal uh, that you can create autonomy out of in a one person setting. Uh, so also, so this high performing thing can also be, you can say scaled down to a single person. You give a goal of helping everyone else and be completely autonomous about that and say, we don't want to decide what you're doing. You go figure. And you can do that with these uh, really uh, highly skilled seniors that uh, knows the platform and knows the people and knows what we need to get done. Uh, so that's also, a, 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 you can say, a side topic to this uh, high-performing teams that you have people that make sure that the teams are never blocked on technical difficulties, for instance. Okay, some fantastic points there. I think it'd be a good time now to to move to the, the third question, going back to, to Martin's again, and talking about what are good ways of facilitating collaboration within a team. I think it'd be good to talk through the ways, but also any examples uh, for the listeners, it'd be great to hear. But Martin, have you got any more context to add to that question? Yeah, so I just wanted to have a little bit of a talk about, you know, sort of concretely, what can you do as an engineering manager, for example, or a team lead, um, to, to help your, uh, help, help, um, your team become, become, uh, highly efficient. Um, so practical, uh, practical things, uh, maybe some, some habits or pa patterns, um, or team culture that, that you can implement or try to drive, uh, to, to help the, the team achieve this. Yeah. Well, to me with the, a, a very big edge on heart. Uh, I would definitely say to to adopt some of the agile, uh, call it ceremonies or agile ways uh, to to facilitate this collaboration. Uh, so having a good backlog, uh, doing some rounds on what is in this backlog in uh, some refinement sessions, and also having these uh, retrospectives and uh, demos as well. Uh, to make sure that you do everything well. But I guess that is fairly standard things that uh, most teams, if they get a, anywhere close to be, being a high-performing team, that they would already be doing things like that. I personally don't go for, say, you should do Scrum or you should do Kanban. Uh, for me, I would rather say you should have some sound, agile uh, ways of working. And if it's the one or the other uh, flavor, it, it's not really important, especially for a team or uh, close on their way to becoming a high-performing team. There are some uh, inspirations for different facilitations. There's this group called the Liberating Structures that uh, has a, a, a palette of different uh, facilitation uh, uh, setups where you can facilitate getting all kinds of results. Uh, so they have a facilitation uh, structure for nearly everything you could imagine. Also uh, from getting info from big groups to getting things from smaller groups. And sometimes when we talk about developers that are often quite introverted, 
Uh, it can be sometimes difficult to get enough out of them. Uh, uh, so having some of these uh, more scripted facilitations uh, can actually help them. Uh, also, we in the good old days where we were physically in the same rooms, we used a lot of post-it notes. Uh, so having people in silence uh, write down some topics on a post-it note and then presenting them afterwards also sparked the collaboration in the team because the quiet ones also wrote their pieces and got to say them. Uh, so making sure, for, for me, the quiet ones are the ones as managers we need to keep more attention to uh, because we we also want them to say things often they are the brightest one on the team and so uh, so we need to facilitate that they also get a say yeah thanks so also, also I'd, I'd like to sort of the, maybe talk a little bit about specifically you know collaboration how to facilitate collaboration in in, in, in teams uh so some of the things that i've uh, been been uh, focusing on, for example, is uh, this you mentioned also Beta. Um, so this idea of the idea of doing uh, refinement in teams, which I would also agree that I think you know teams are doing. <laughs> um, but I think so. So specifically, I want so about the refinement, and what I think is that um, it's important. You, when, you, when you have these refinement sessions, you, you kind of reduce. First of all, you reduce the surprise factor after. After something, uh, you know, for for something after something is has been implemented, um, you also make sure that decisions are taken uh, collaboratively uh, in in a shared form. You share information, you share knowledge. Um, so so it's a it's very it's a good way to learn about things. It's a good way to have junior uh, engineers learn about things. Um, and it's also something, even though you have a, a lead on the team, it's something you can you can um, have different uh, people on the team do challenge them a little bit in some cases. If you wanted to give them like a a, a challenge uh, task, you know, have them have them run with the with a refinement of something, and then take that into the team refinements uh, at some point. I think that that's a really good tool um, that that uh, I've been using. Another thing is also um, to to impose uh, work in progress limits on on what the team is working on, so you don't have the team work on five, six, seven different things at the time. Uh, say you know you only want we only want to work on maybe two things at at most um, to make sure that they actually collaborate around these things here, um, and and don't you know sit in silos and work on their own small tasks. Um, that that is uh, something. Exactly like you say, some 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 developers they kind of like to just get down and and coding uh, at, at you know their computer, um, and and you kind of want to make sure that they do collaborate with other people and and uh, sit together and, and do things collaboratively. Um, again, to to make sure that that knowledge is shared in the team, and then of course you know you have you know, that you can have things like peer programming, peer programming, code reviews, which I think you know. And in this time of day is also standard practice, uh, and you can have mentorships uh, with with the junior and, and senior between junior and senior developers, which can be good as well. Mm -hmm. Yep, and uh, we actually now you mentioned uh, pair programming, 
we actually in one team have had a team that uh, for now a few months have been running in mock programming style, mm-hmm. slightly mo- modified uh, from the original thought of it. Uh, but you see, when I first saw it, maybe five, six years ago, uh, it was cumbersome and not really uh, online uh, usable. Uh, Today, there is actually support for it in our online tools. So they can that even though they are almost never co-located, these people. So are very decent uh, support for 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 this uh, mock programming style. And it can uh, be super helpful to upskill a team uh, in, in obtaining the same level of knowledge. And... I can see between front-enders and back-enders, they are much quicker to understand and catch the sort of interfaces and handovers between the two uh, uh, developer uh, areas. And that that has also made the team relatively high-performant and relatively quickly. And so it was new people set together on a new uh, domain for nearly all of them so uh, so this style made them work faster even though it looked slower at the beginning so, so this uh, this way of working can be done uh, they they are taking this uh, mock programming with a certain level of you could say parallelism in it uh, so they are not working fully sequential that the the meaning of the mob programming was uh, from the outset so they uh, relaxed the rules a bit but they are working together in uh, one long long meeting every day uh, for for at least six hours or so Uh, they actually feel more energized of working in this way so it is uh, very interesting to to see because normally with these uh, mostly introverted people, they would be strained of having to talk to people nearly all day. But because they are talking on topic uh, of what they're doing, it is a different game for them. So they actually feel more energized. Also, after days of work, they actually feel more energized than when they came in. Uh, so uh, that is one of the things that surprised me mostly. Uh, of uh, this way of working for them. Well, that's an interesting point there, Peter. And I think, again, another great question from you, Martin. So thank you. Uh, Going on to Peter's second question now. um, He was going to ask, how do you measure when or if a team is high-performing and what are the signs of the high-performing team? Peter, as always, we'll come to you for a bit of context there. Mm. I guess the last part of this question, uh, we we sort of uh, summarized that uh, very nicely in the start of this uh, uh, talk. Uh, so so maybe more the first part of it, because sometimes uh, say, well, I don't think we can have some hard measures that say, well, when this reaches ten, then they are high performing. But uh, maybe say, well. Do we say, well, they have the sustainability, autonomy, 
quality in releases and they are very reliable you could you could say they get a point for each of these areas and then you could say well the more points uh, the better uh, but is it a binary setup of these things or are they also a scale of each i guess they are all a scale because not many things in this world is binary uh, so uh, so but but what would be the items you would say uh, these are the things we would be looking at yeah so uh that's that's really you know a really interesting question and probably someone that is <laughs> um that can uh spend a lot of uh, opinions um I, I think what i have sort of on, at the top of my list here is uh measuring business impact so the business impact of the team um if that is possible i don't necessarily think that's uh, super easy for all teams sometimes you have teams where uh the the main customers are in, internal uh into the company um but in that case you might be able to 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 measure this the satisfaction of the people who use uh whatever they work on um so, but, but somehow measuring business impact, measuring customer satisfaction, I think that that's probably what I would say is the most important part because it also talks into, um, so does the team actually have an impact? Does it, does it, does it have a clear vision? Does it have a vision that matters to the business? Um, and at the end of the day, that's probably the most important thing. Um, then I would measure operational stability. Um, so again, it may <laughs> again something that's close to my heart, <laughs> um, but I think uh, that a team that takes you know that takes responsibility uh, of of whatever they own um, will and 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 runs with it will also show this in the in the operation stability of whatever they're doing. Um, so that that's definitely something and that I, that I would measure. That is, is something that's usually pretty easy to measure. Um, so that's also something that's a that's a good thing. And then, um, of course, you can also measure the delivery flow. Uh, that's a little bit more complicated. Um, exactly. I mean, there are different ways of doing that. Um, although I haven't really found, I, I have yet to see something that, says, so that it works practically really, really well. <laughs> I've seen different implementations of this. Um, you can measure, you know, how, how many tasks are you delivering per sprint? If you're running sprints or per week, if you're on Kanban. Um, and, and I think to that, I would also add, uh, listening to what you said before, Peter, maybe, you know, thinking about measuring what is the predictability of the, of the, uh, deliveries. So, so, so how easy is it to predict when something will be delivered? The consistency, I think is important because at the end of the day, usually what we want is, is, uh, rather than speed is, is, is consistency and, and, and predictability. Um, so, so those are sort of the three main points that that I would uh, I would measure. Maybe a fourth one could also be uh, team happiness. Um, I think team team happiness is important as well, and it's something that you will see in all uh, efficient teams. You're not going to see a, a grumpy efficient team. <laughs> no, that is that is right. And I think you you, you had some 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 really good points uh, in this and. Uh, and to me, this this is also the same points I would uh, go and measure on uh, because 
uh, you can say the first the two ones about uh, business impact and customer satisfaction are items that can be relatively difficult to measure. Uh, but I think when when setting goals for a team, you should find a way to set the goals so it also uh, have some measurements in them. Can use the OKR setups, uh, for instance. So you have some of these goals set as objectives, and some some key results built into them to say, well, when we have achieved this, then we are success. So uh, that can also be a, a way of uh, measuring, especially things like uh, business impact and customer satisfaction, because uh, when we get to operational stability. Uh, then then it's fairly easy what's your uptime how many times have you had to roll back and uh, how long did it take for you to to roll roll back and get operationals again uh, and things like that that is also for me uh, something that shows a high performing team that uh, maybe they deploy something to production that uh, consider that has a bug but they are fast at reacting on rolling back, resolving the bug, and uh, and uh, deploying again uh, a bit later. So having this uh, well-functioning uh, uh, CI, CD uh, setup uh, where they can easily roll back and uh, deploy things to production uh, super fast because they are, feel safe, they have a sufficient test level on uh, both integration and uh, unit tests so so they can do that on a daily basis that is uh, uh, for me one of the big signs of a uh, a high performing team because this you build it you run it uh, kind of mindset uh, is very uh, and then I think like team happiness for me this simply comes with having this autonomy uh, it's always worth uh, monitoring and uh, making sure that that uh, people are happy. So uh, back to you, Martin. Yeah, and I would also add to that. I think these metrics that we're talking about now uh, sort of function as counterweights to each other, which I think is important because uh, you know you probably don't want to optimize your delivery flow to a point, uh, or actually you don't want the metric to 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 get to a point where you're delivering too fast. And where you're not really making sure that that your quality is being taken care of, so that's that's why your operational stability metrics should then you know function as a counterweight to that one, so that they sort of balance uh, balance out. Yeah. Um, and the same with team happiness. Um, you know, you may have super operational stability, a super delivery flow, but if you're if your uh, people are worked worked out uh, and stressed out, um, then that's not going to be sustainable either. Um, so, so, so I think it's, it's important to also establish these metrics that uh, point in a direction, but also function as counterweights and balance to each other and, and, and balance balance out each other. Fantastic. Yeah, I think, yeah. sorry. I, yeah, I, I do like the the balancing uh, part that you mentioned here, Martin. Uh, I think that is important to to also make sure the team knows was it well uh, because teams often dislike when we say we are going to measure you uh, but if we give them these things and say well this is sort of a a, a pentagram of uh, measurements uh, that uh, we would see that uh, 
it has a balance between them because none of these rules the world. They need yeah. the combination of all of them. Yeah. Excellent, guys. Thank you there very much for that one. I do want to quickly run by you a, a question, having listened to you today, that I've uh, just thought of. And um, obviously, we in an ideal world, uh, you'd be able to keep hold of everybody in the team, um, but people come and go. So I want to know from you, how key is recruitment and how do you get that balance right between senior and junior developers? Because there must be instances where you need more of one than the other. Um, mm. Yeah, I think uh, one thing when recruiting to a high-performing team, if we sort of uh, start by defining that we had one, uh, then the team should be very much involved in the recruitment uh, I myself make sure that the teams do technical interviews where they do pair programming with the potential candidates. And it is mostly the team that says thumbs up or thumbs down on the candidates uh, because that ensures that we get someone in with the right skill level, at least the right potential to reach the right skill level, but also the right personality, a person that the team see themselves working with. Uh, and for me, that is super important that I encourage the teams to more hire for personality and potential than uh, raw skill. Uh, because uh, you can have this uh, uh, this brilliant guy that uh, maybe is not the nicest guy to have on the team and that can destroy a high-performing team completely. So rather hire a slightly more junior one that has the right potential and the right uh, personality on the team than going for the most senior one. That would always be my advice to, to a team. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think there needs to be a good balance of, of seniors and, and, and uh, juniors on the team. Um, also because I think we should, you know, as as a as a as an organization, we should think of teams as, uh, you know, potential. Um, in I guess you call it could say investment. So we we you know where, where people can grow. You know, we want to create an environment where where people can come in and can learn, pick up stuff, that can grow, uh, both their skill sets, their careers, um, and that that's sort of a win win both for the for the uh, for the persons joining the teams, but also for the company, right? Um, and ideally, um, also going back to the question of, so how do you build teams? I think it's important to do it. If you want to do it in a good way, you want to do it organically. You don't want to do it just sort of out of nothing, if, if at all possible. Um, what I like to do is, is grow teams to a certain point and then maybe split them up at some point, uh, adding a little, maybe adding some, some, some ownership or responsibilities to, to the teams, but doing it in a, in a, in a, um, organic way that's not disruptive where you do not where you know each person suddenly have to figure out how to collaborate with completely new uh colleagues they haven't collaborated with before you know on a new stack they haven't worked with before um and 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 to do that to sort of you you, you kind of need a good mix of people so yeah i i, I completely agree i agree with that one for sure excellent well thank you guys well i think we'll leave it there for today uh, as you all know, this has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. 
want to take this opportunity to thank both Martin and Peter, both for their fantastic insights, but great questions also. If you would like to get involved with one of our upcoming podcasts, please, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn or via email at sam.williamson.evolution-nordics.com. See you next time.